Let us pray. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Psalm 143.8 Dear God, allow your light to shine upon me this morning. Today is a new day, filled with endless opportunities to be kind to others. Allow my thoughts to be present with you before I begin my day. Guide me with your righteous hand, so that I may stay on the right path today. Allow my words to be kind, so that I may always put a smile on others' faces. Allow my thoughts to be encouraging, so that I can begin my day with confidence. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's daily prayer. For more inspiration and an incredible message from our feature pastor, stay tuned to Pray.com's Sunday service. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. You're listening to Living on the Edge with Chip Ingram here on Pray.com. The goal of this teaching ministry is to encourage and help Christians live like Christians. Today, we're highlighting a part of Chip's insightful series, Love, Sex, and Lasting Relationships, based in Ephesians chapter 5. Through this study, we'll learn God's design for finding, staying, and growing in a genuine love that can last a lifetime. In this message, Chip will reveal why the biblical model for intimacy and relationships is so much better than the Hollywood model. Well, if you're ready to learn more about that, here's Chip with his message, The Secret to a Lasting Relationship. Love, sex, and lasting relationships. You know, we are all, we just are made and wired and long to be loved and to give love. Uh, we are made and designed by the creator of the universe to have spiritual, emotional, and connection physically with a person of the opposite sex that does something in our soul and our heart 
And we are longing for that experience to not fade, not end in divorce, but to last your whole life. And the question is, if you're single, how do you find that right person, right? Uh, If you're married, how do you keep that kind of love alive? Uh, If you're widowed or a widower, how do you avoid that pitfall of when to move forward and because of the great need and the hurt and the hole in your soul of getting connected too early in some way with someone that usually ends up in a disaster? Why is it there's so many relationships, but most of them just don't turn out very well? I mean, over half of all the marriages don't work. Where I want to start is with something I think is pretty basic, is what's the secret to a lasting relationship? I mean, let's face it, there's some people that love each other. It's rare. I mean, you know, you can see them at all different stages and decades, and man, they are in love, and there's something to what they know that a lot of us don't. And what I'm going to suggest is there's two basic models out there that we're going to look at. Hollywood's model is one, and God's model or God's prescription to enhance your love life is the other. And so I want to look at Hollywood's model, and then I'll look at God's model, and maybe we can learn some things. Imagine, if you will, that this small little tube is filled with multiple silicon tiny little chips that can take information, and then you can turn it this way, and it can synthesize it through an algorithm to take all that information to come up with the basics of what's inside of it. So what, hypothetically, I put inside of here is the last 40 years of movies, the last 40 years of all television shows, the last 40 years of all self-help books, the last 40 years of all romance novels, the last 15 or 20 years of reality shows, and anything that's been written about love, sex, and relationships. And then when I take this and I say, okay, of all the movies we've seen, the magazines, the books, the world that we've grown up in, if I could shoot that out through some sort of algorithm to say, Is there a step-by-step process to find the right person to be in love and have this great, awesome relationship with amazing sex? What would it be? Hollywood would say this. Number one, you need to find the right person. I mean, right? We all grew up. There's someone out there for you. You need to find them. Where are they? I wonder when and how are you going to meet them? And so what we're told in each one of those movies and in the songs that we sing and, and the Netflix that we watch is... There's someone out there, but you've got to attract them. In other words, if you're going to find them, it's kind of like you need to be honey so the bees will come for you. And what Hollywood says is there's a way that you attract people. And what they say is that you need to be really good bait. You need to look a certain way. You need to dress a certain way. You need to drive a certain car. You need to be sort of hip or cool or neat or whatever word you want to use. And then there's a theme that's very, very physical in how you attract the opposite sex. In fact, I did something. I'm going to take you on a a quick little journey. Uh, This is very, uh, I just went to the typical drugstore, and I went to the magazine rack, and I thought, I'm going to do some very anecdotal, non-scientific research. And I'm just going to take 10 magazines and say, is there any theme about who I'm supposed to be to attract the opposite sex? And so I'd like to invite you to join me on my research. So I started off kind of mild. Let's focus on our self. So Self Magazine says I can burn fat faster. And as I go through these, see if you can see some words or themes that developed. And then I can tone and tighten. Don't have to go to the gym to do it. 
And then here's something, sporty sex. How many calories can you actually burn? I didn't realize that was part of the diet program, but I can see where it would sell a magazine. So I go beyond simply myself because I want to be glamorous, because if I'm glamorous for glamour, attract other people. And um, a very attractive young woman here will tell me 65 ways to play up your body. So apparently how my body looks is really important. But I, I like this. It's, ladies, you don't just need to look good with makeup. You don't need to look good after you've been rested, been to the gym, got a little tan. In this magazine, how to look ridiculously good on zero sleep. <laughs> I mean, hey, the, the expectations aren't getting too high, are they? And then just in case you kind of wonder, you know, you're wondering that man and how do men really think? In this edition, 1,001 men answer your questions, ladies. This is what you're going to find out. How to be good bait. About sex, about your body, about babies, about falling in love and falling out of love. Well, you know, it's a fitness world. It's a diet world. We all know that we want to be in good shape. So I thought Shape Magazine would be a good one. And so um, what does this tell us? Well, you can drop seven pounds in two days. Amen, right? <laughs> and then it's the better sex workout. I'm catching a theme. I don't know about you. There, there might be a theme emerging here. Uh, here's here's how I like at the very bottom. One week plus four moves equals your new hot body. Is that like amazing? You don't have to diet. Don't go to the gym. Just in one week. And here's, are you beginning to realize you have been inundated by every form of media to say how you look is the key to attracting the opposite sex. And sex is the ultimate goal of every relationship. That's what it says. Well, let's get on a little more, you know, focus toward health. And so women's health, how do you get healthy? Flat abs, that's how. <laughs> Hold it. Not only flat, flat abs, but more sex, better sex, up the action and the satisfaction. <laughs> And hey, you know what? It's not like I, I, I pulled these from years. I just went to the drugstore yesterday, all right? This is just a for real. Now, here, here's the moment, though. Things are changing. It used to be that there was an expectation. If you're in your 20s and your 30s and, you know, hard body, all the rest. But we used to at least think that, like, you know, 20, 30 years later, 40 is the new 20. So if you're not married, if you're 40 and you don't look like her, you have a problem. And here's the thing, if that message keeps going, your husband looks at you and looks at her and says, you know, maybe, so what's, what's the deal? Or flip it around, and you look at him and say, you know, he didn't have that when we got married. <laughs> well, guys, let's not let the women take all of it. Uh, this is The Bachelor, and so just an average normal looking guy, from my opinion, actually. <laughs> right, guys? Kind of looks like us little stubble, hard body. Uh, but but now, now think of this, that this show has so many followers. We have 17 women, all who happen to be gorgeous, who want to line up that don't know anything about him, but want to marry him. What's he like? Have no idea. I just want to be on the show. But he found out three of them have dark past that want to take him down. This is men's health, and this is the most unusual men's health I've ever seen. I do this research when I walk out of the grocery store, by the way, 
often. And usually the men's health has a guy with his shirt off. Ladies probably don't even notice. But he has a shirt off, and he doesn't have a six-pack. He doesn't have an eight-pack. He's got like a 12-pack. Now, you do understand that he's been working out for years. This is his full-time job. He takes creatine and probably a little steroids here and there because he's not playing the NFL. And he looks amazing. And what he says to me is, Chip, you can burn flat abs 24-7, the new all-Spartan workout. Ooh, okay. <laughs> and muscle secrets from the real fight club. Guys, you get to that gym, your wife's going to go, wow. Or if you're not married, or if you're looking, the whole key is, for some of you, you're thinking, it's too late for the gym. Maybe it's in the clothes. A little more sophisticated. In this detailed magazine, built a perfect wardrobe, the eight pieces every stylish man should own. See, if you got a shirt like this, they can tell where this came from. <laughs> I mean, the women, I mean, then Starbucks. Unbelievable. Do you see that suit? But that's not enough. If you can't afford the wardrobe underneath of it, the haircut of the moment. <laughs> Guys. How cheap could it get? Well, it's not really all that cheap, except for some. You have this haircut, and she goes, unbelievable. I think I'm in love. <laughs> um, we're having a bit of fun. And we laugh because it's in the air, it's in the water, it's in the movies, it's in the songs. And we all care about what we look like. And we all have these private thoughts that we wish we looked a lot better. And we all have now been inundated with a culture, and it's in the air and water, that says, if you don't look like this, you don't measure up. And worse, we can get deluded in thinking we kind of do, but the person that we're married to doesn't. Or we can feel like, if I don't look like one of these people and I'm single, I'll never get, ever get married. And you know what? Here's the thing is, the, the expectations are now so false and so unrealistic this message destines you to fail in every relationship. It destines you to try and become something you're not. It destines you to compare inside your relationship where any flaw now is up against these 1% of the gene pool in all of the world who have private chefs, work out four hours a day, and have unlimited expenses on wardrobes, and then they do these shoots and then they touch up the shoots afterwards. And it gets worse because it never ends. The last one is uh, the most sad for me. I don't know about you ladies, but if you don't look like this at 60, there's a big problem. <laughs> and so now it's not like you can't even grow old. There, there is no room for sags or lags or anything else. And what I want you to know is that Hollywood's formula is find the right person, and that's the way. And then when you find them, you fall in love, right? I mean, in all the movies, I mean, you just fall in love. You, you, the picture is, you know, you're driving your car, and, and you stop your car, and it's at a red light, and you look over, and she looks over. You look again, she looks again. Your eyes meet. Electricity starts at the top of your head. You begin to shake almost uncontrollably inside your car. She has a Volkswagen. You have a Volkswagen. You don't know her, but you're in love. She pulls off, and you want to follow her. Or sometimes it's a little less dramatic. You're just walking in a coffee shop, you notice her. She notices you. You go to refills at exactly the same time. <laughs> you brush one another. Magic dust pours down upon both of you. 
I've got, I've got to know his name. You go back having not done any more than that, hoping that the same day at the same time at the same coffee shop, he or she will be there. But you return home to say to your roommate, I'm in love. Your IQ drops 30 points. You start acting in ways that are ridiculous, spending money you don't have, dressing up. Does this look good? Does this look good? Does this look good? What do you think? Should I buy a new outfit? Why? I'm going to the coffee shop. Why? To meet a guy I've never met, that I don't know his name, that I know nothing about, that I think I'm in love with. Now, you, is that not Hollywood's formula? You believe that a lot. I believe that a lot. The third step in Hollywood's formula is once you find that person and once you sort of have this mystical, infatuated experience that we'll literally talk about later because there's a chemical reaction that happens when we're infatuated and God designed us that way and it's a, it's a good part of a relationship. We just need to understand what part. Then you fix your hopes and dreams on this person. And what you do is that, so all the songs are, I can't live without you. In fact, once you find him and you fall in love, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be. How did you know those words? You're amazing. Over and over and over and over. And then when you fix your hope on this person, and probably most everyone's been there, and then there's the breakup, your life, you can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't drink. Life is meaningless. You put on weight, you drink too much, you do all kind of things because... What was going to make your life work is gone. And if you don't believe it, ask all the pretty people who make all the movies, who are the most beautiful with the most money, who seem to not be able to stay together for more than a few months or a few years. And then finally, when failure occurs, you repeat steps one, two, and three. <laughs> and it goes like this. In a marriage, it goes like this. We've fallen out of love. Um, I guess it just wasn't the right person. What was good for a few years, and she was that way and I was that way, but we've grown apart. All these euphemisms, the belief system is there's someone out there, and therefore, once you break up, you go back to the gym. You ever seen how many 40 to 50-year-olds there are in the gym? Right? Now you get a new wardrobe, you get a new car, and you play the same game, except the next time, the chance of failure goes up to 75%, not 50%. This is the mantra that you have been sold that destines you for dissatisfaction or to never find the right person or to have heartbreak that God never intended. The results are the success rate of Hollywood's formula is since 1960, the divorce rate has doubled. About 41 to 43% of people are divorced now, but since we don't count those who cohabitate and then break apart, a good round figure is about 50%. Over half of all divorces happen in the first 10 years, usually between year three and six is the most devastating time because reality hits in, some young kids come, people don't endure. The pain and the fallout is really beyond what we often think. Despite all the words and talk shows of it was an amiable divorce, we're still friends, it was just a mistake. The research indicates that the pain, fallout, and damage to the children, to the economics, half of all women who go through a divorce live below the poverty level. Or just the fractured relationship and the pain is the tip of the iceberg. And that our problems and the tragedy of divorce follows us into adulthood. One of the most interesting studies I've ever read 
was uh, Children of Divorce 25 Years Later, a landmark study that tracked kids from broken homes, longitudinally tracked them for over 25 years to find out what happens to kids. Not now. Oh, they're resilient. Everything's going to be okay. Wallerstein is the founder of the Center for Families in Transition, uh, one of nation, nation's leading expert on divorce, and her book, The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce 25 Years Later, landmark study. She gives an example. Karen was 36 when she detailed to Wallerstein the long shadow cast by her parents' divorce. Like so many other children of divorce, James had embarked on a search for lasting love, yet was so deeply anxious that she was unable to trust others. A fear of abandonment kept her clinging to a string of unsuitable and troubled partners. I mean, it would be too embarrassing to ask you to raise your hand of how many in this room have been down that road or have a sister or a brother or one of your kids that you say, yep, that's what happened. It goes on to say, by the time the children of divorce reached their 30s, she found only half of them were doing well personally. Interestingly, it seemed that it had absolutely no impact on their work life. We substitute and we compensate. Here's all I want you to hear very clearly. Hollywood's formula is all that we've heard. You don't even have to try and not believe it or believe it. Every time you wake up and watch a commercial, read a book, glance at a magazine, watch a movie, this is the mantra behind it. And if you don't understand that you are being hoodwinked, seduced, and used, then you're a fool because it doesn't work. Turn the page and let's ask ourselves, is there a better way? Could it be if the people would just use the thing and the way we designed it, it would work, right? Isn't that what you engineers say all the time? We designed it like this. We planned it like this. We tested it like this. And those idiots at that company, they don't run it the right way. Now, God's not like that. But his heart is this. I made you, I designed relationships, and my desires are so wonderful and so good. Let me tell you the design and the plan that I made that makes relationships deeply loving, dynamic in sex, and really last. The answer is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and I put the text in your notes. The first half of that book, he tells us who we are in Christ and how precious we are, how loved we are, what he's already done for us, that you are a son of God because of Christ, and that you are adopted, and he cares for you, and it doesn't matter how you look, and he actually wanted you to be exactly the height that you are, with the personality that you have, with the eye color that you have, with the personality that you have, and he actually likes you. And you don't have to be this skinny or this hard-bodied or wear these kind of clothes. He loves you just the way you are. And by the way, that is the key to experiencing great love with other people. Because until you understand how deeply loved you are, you will try and find that love and make someone else the completion to make your life work. And it always ends in disaster. And so he says, therefore... Be imitators of God. How? As beloved children. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Now pull out a pen. I'm going to ask you just to make a couple observations. This will really help you. Put a line under where it says, be imitators of God. Just put a little line under it. And then above it, write command number one. There's two commands in this passage. The word is mimic. Literally, it's command. 
Mimic God. Do in relationships with others what God does to you. Mimic him. Now, notice I want you to put parentheses around the next phrase is, as beloved children. So put a parenthesis. So I'm to mimic God. I'm to love the way God loves in relationships with other people, but I'm to do it as someone who's already dearly loved and accepted and precious by God. Command number two, underline walk in love. Walk in love. It's a command. Notice the, the line that comes up next describes what it means to walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you. Put parentheses around that. So, command number one, I'm to imitate God. How? As someone who's deeply loved and accepted just for who I am. Command number two, I'm to walk in love. Walk is a choice. Walk is progressive. Walk is step. Sometimes you fall down. But I walk how? Just as Christ loved me. The rest of the verse says, well, how did Christ love us? Who gave himself for you? It's a picture of in all the portal of all time and all humanity, God saw you and he saw me. And when Christ was hanging upon the cross, he died in your place and in my place to pay for your sin. And then he rose from the dead to prove that it was true to offer spiritual life, just as we're physically born, to offer a spiritual birth and a new relationship with God. Question. He does it to God. It's an offering. It's a sacrifice. When Jesus was praying through, for those of you with a little Bible background, remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Did he emotionally want to go to the cross? Yes or no? Emotionally. I didn't hear you. No. So he's agonizing. Why? He understands separation from the Father. He understands the cross. He understands the thorns. He knows he's going to get beat within an inch of his life. All those things. But he looked at you and he looked at me. And here's what love is. Love is choosing to give another person what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. That's what he did. And see, it changes your relationships. It's not, well, how do I feel? Is she meeting my needs? Are things going well? You know, our sex isn't as hot as it used to be. He's gained a couple pounds. You know, this is really difficult with our kids right now. There's a lot of pressure in our job. I don't think she, I don't think he's really the right person. I think we're growing out of love. No, 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 no. Those are feelings. And those are movies playing in your head. Love is a commitment. Love is a choice to give another person what they need the most, not when they're being good, <laughs> when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. Now, notice if I could take all this passage and put it in four steps like Hollywood's formula, it would look like this. Number one, become the right person. That's what God's saying. Become the right person. If you have your Bible or mobile device, open up to Ephesians chapter 4, because it says, therefore, right? It says, therefore, be imitators of God. You need to look behind it because what he's going to say is there's certain attitudes that you need to get rid of that are poison in relationships, and there's certain attitudes that are like God's that will transform relationships. So notice Ephesians 4, uh, pick it up with me at verse 31. It says, get rid of, what? All bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Any of you ever struggle with having some of those attitudes, actions, or words come out of your mouth? in your relationships with the opposite sex? Oh, good. <laughs> I do. When you get hurt, when you get rejected, when you're confused, when you feel betrayed, anger, bitterness, slander, start telling other people, 
malice? How do you get back at him? But notice, look at verse 32. But be kind to one another, compassionate or tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. When he says mimic God, he says become the right person. You become a person that's kind. What's kind? You do nice things for other people just to bless their life. Compassionate. That means you're tender-hearted and you walk in their shoes and you're empathetic and you, you understand where they're coming from and it's not demanding about what do I get, but it's how do I give. When they blow it, you're forgiving. It's not that you become a, a doormat. It's not that you're doing that. And there's boundaries, of course. But when they blow it just like you blow it, you don't hold it against them. You get it on the table and you forgive them. Mimic God. Here's the deal. Here's what's wonderful about God's deal. For those of you that are divorced and not in a relationship, for those of you that are single and not in a relationship, for those of you that are 13, 14, or 15 and thinking, I'm not exactly sure what all this is about, but my parents said it'd be a good idea for me to sit in on this. All right? And I can hear him saying, I know a lot more of what this is about than this guy thinks, which is actually quite true. You don't need to be in any relationship to become the kind of person who mimics God. Let me ask you this. If you found a person to date that was kind, compassionate, tenderhearted, other-centered, and forgiving when you blew it, would that sound like a pretty good catch? That's a, that's a different set of qualities than Man, she looks good in tight jeans, or I love him in a tight T-shirt, or he drives a Ferrari. That's really different, isn't it? And see, the thing is, is, you know, the people that are really kind and very loving and forgiving and godly, guess who they're looking for? They're looking for other people that are very kind, very loving, right? So the, the way to get the best is to become the best. You need to become what you want. And, and you can work on that every day. That's why the greatest thing I do for my wife every single day is pursue passionately my relationship with Christ so I can become more like him as his spirit creates in me through his word and community, the living Christ in me. The second thing is, is rather than finding the right person, you become the right person. And then if you don't fall in love, you walk in love. You walk in love. So it's a choice. And we've defined it. It is, you got it yet? Love is giving another person what? What they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. See, what I can tell you is I didn't know any of this. I never picked up a Bible until I was 18. And I did, I did the whole deal Hollywood's way until I was in my early 20s. And all the fallout and all the mess, get it, okay? And then I got married. And in our relationship, we really did do it God's way. So I thought, it's God's way. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Well, it was for three months. <laughs> it was really awesome. And then I found out that, you know, I needed to walk in love. And, you know, Teresa wasn't going to meet all my needs. And, and I didn't know that if you're the son of an alcoholic, you become the rescuer. And my antenna was always up everywhere. How do I help? How do I rescue? Because I feel good about me when I rescue people. And she had this little light that said, I came from a difficult home. And then I got abandoned by this guy. And he was selling drugs and ran off with another woman. And I got these two kids. And I'm looking for help. Well, we were a match made in hell. <laughs> and I don't mean that as a cuss word. I mean that as a description. And so we both love God. We got married. Well, three months in... She really doesn't want me to fix her because that's all I can do. And, and I really am I'm really pretty struggling with some of this dysfunction that was really attractive because 
So I mean, you know, like we're, we're married like three, six months, and now I'm in seminary. Now I'm in counseling. It's the best money and the best time I ever spent. Why? Because you can only walk in love as a dearly loved. You know, I've got the word beloved. We don't use that a lot. Think about this. Walk in love as someone who feels God's love and acceptance pouring over your mind and your heart and your soul. So at some level, you don't care what anyone on the whole earth thinks about what you think, what you wear, what your body's like, because you are so precious and so loved and you are someone's son or someone's daughter and he made you special. And when you get that, now instead of needing, you can give. And so I had to learn how to do that. But a lot of it was, I mean, I made her nuts. She made me nuts. And she tried to fix me. It did not work. So I tried to fix her. Did not work. I talked to couples that are going through really hard times. It, it goes something like this. Well, if she would, boom, 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 then it would be okay. Well, I would do that, you know? If she'd like pick up stuff around the house. And you know, before we got married, we like used to have sex. And now it's kids and stuff and work and pace and pressure. And, and then, you know, before we got married, I mean, he, he did silly stuff like open the door. He, he jotted me notes. He called me. I'm just thinking of you. We talked for an hour and a half on the phone. Now I can't even get him to text me back. And then he wants to make love. Are you kidding me? Give me a break, dude. Boom, 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 boom. And you know what? Someone has to stop and say, you know what? I'm not going to keep asking, what do you give me and am I fulfilled? That's Hollywood. Someone steps up and says, you know what? We can break the cycle. I'm so deeply loved by God in the midst of all this. Yeah, we probably need to get some help. We probably need to get some good counseling. And we probably need to get in a small group with other people that are as messed up as we are because everyone's messed up. They just don't admit it. And we're going to help one another. And I'm going to choose to give my mate what they need even when I'm not getting anything back. Because once that happens, a cycle breaks. Hearts get tenderized. Restoration occurs. The third is you not only become the right person and walk in love, but you fix your hope on God, and you seek to please him through this relationship. So see, at the heart of, our, of all of Hollywood is narcissism. I mean, we will be nice to people, we'll do things, but there's always a sort of a, I'll do this if you do that. I'll act like this if you'll do that. I'll give this to get that. That never is sustainable. And then when you put your hopes and dreams on this person... And then things break apart, you're devastated. God's the only one that can make this work. And until you're whole with him, you don't have the ability or the capacity to really love. There's a couple of professors in Seattle Pacific, and they teach a course that everyone takes that's not required. It's about love and relationships and how to find the right person. And there's no notes. You don't have to take any notes. You don't have to come to class. And they come, thousands of them. But they read this statement at the first class, and everyone has to memorize the statement, and they go over it every week. And then they teach people about how this works. Lesson Leslie Parrott write, if you attempt to build intimacy with another person before you've done the hard work of becoming a whole and healthy person, every relationship will be an attempt to complete the wholeness that you lack and end in disaster. Boy, we could have, if we were like one of those old-time tent meetings that I've seen on TV, I'd say, can I get a testimony? Right? How, we've all done this, haven't we? We've all done this. We're trying to find someone to fix these holes in us. 
And see, if you, if you just say, you know what, no one has the power to do that. I don't care who they are or what they look like, they will always let you down because they're human, just like you let them down. And the paradigm is, I'm going to become the right person. I'm going to walk in love with my heavenly father so I can choose to give what only he can give me. And I'm going to fix my hopes and dreams not on this person because they're going to let me down. But this marriage, I want it to be as much as I want to be fulfilled, and that would be a nice byproduct. I want this to be an offering to God. There's been times in my marriage, I'll admit this, even as a pastor, it was like, I don't want to stay in this marriage. This is too hard. I'm too frustrated. I mean, in a nice way, she makes me nuts. We had so much stuff to work through. And we needed all the counseling and a little bit more. And since then, we have read so many books and listened to so many things on Gone Away on Weekends. You know why? Because we're desperately needy to learn, to learn how to love God and to love each other. But you know what it did? It sustained us through the little hard times and sustained us through the years three through six and sustained us with baby and diapers when you didn't have much time and sustained us when our, some of our teenagers were going crazy. And then, boy, the empty nest, it was hard for me. I was real excited about it. My wife has all this grief. We were losing our kids and ministry that went this way. All kind of seasons, they have difficult, difficult times. And God wants you to know if you could but grasp that in a fallen world, you will always have difficult times. But if you become the right person, if you walk in love and you set and fix your affection on him, he'll take the difficult times like a piece of sand that rubs the wrong way in the oyster of your heart and you'll create a pearl. And you'll end up, if you persevere, like I've, I've hit a window that I never dreamed was possible. The intimacy in the marriage that I have is beyond anything I dreamed. Every area of my marriage is better than I thought it could be. And, and every area that you can imagine we've struggled in. And then the best we could out of all of our dysfunction, we, we tried to model for our kids. This is the direction to go. And they, they grew up and they said, you know what? I think I'm going to do relationships God's way. And they found mates that love God and now they're raising kids like this. And adult kids that want to be around you. It's like, are you kidding and here's what I'll tell you. The rewards that God has for you are beyond your wildest dreams. And the great majority of people and the great majority of Christians bail out too soon, too early, because basically you've been believing this stuff. And these are just magazines. You can't watch five Netflix movies a week and watch three reality shows and it just seems like all the action is out there. The fact of the matter is this, interesting research. Those who walk closely with God, pray together as a couple, are in God's word on a regular basis and worship together, divorces in the low single digits. It happens, very rare. And then this is research. I mean, someone has to do this, so I thought I would. Uh, you know where the hottest, greatest sex is in America? It's not in the singles at all. Monogamous couples with deep spiritual values and commitment to one another. You know why? Because sex wasn't designed to, quote, just have a physical experience. When there's a spiritual connection and a connection of the soul and the heart and the mind, and when there's two people doing life together, coming together physically is a celebration. And God says the marriage bed is holy. It's not dirty. It's holy. And there's something that happens, even the current research about in a man's brain, certain things happen inside our brain that allows walls to come down as we're with our wives in intimacy, that allows a depth of sharing. 
God's plan is you become the right person, you walk in love, you set your affections on him, and when failure occurs, repeat steps one, two, and three. And it will. I mean, does anyone think Teresa and I ever have an argument? Raise your hand. (laughs) Put them all up. Of course. Does anyone think that she disappoints me or I disappoint her and we hurt each other's feelings? Yeah. So in the old days, what I did was, man, this, you know what, this is what she's doing. And when she changes then, and she was going, well, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll change when you change. Because it was all about finding the right person, falling in love. And and now, you know, when that happens, I go back to step one. The grammar actually isn't just become the right person. It's, It's literally not just imitate God. The grammar is demonstrate yourself as imitators of God. And I go back when we're having a conflict, and it's a choice, and I say, God, this is, this is not, I'm not happy. <laughs> so what do you want to do in me? What is it about me as a man? What is it about me as a father? What is it about me as a husband that you want to change, that needs to change? Because I, I tried, like, years to change her. That's not going to work. I've got zero control of her, 100% of me, so I go back to step one. I want to become the right person, so I'm going to own. I mean, even, even if in my perverted little heart it's 90% her and 10% me, I'm going to own my 10%, I'm going to repent. And it's probably 60-40, and it's probably me the 60. But I'm deluded like you. That's the way we are. And now I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to give her whatever she needs, and I don't feel like she deserves it. And I'm going to choose to do that, not even for her. I'm doing that for you. And I will tell you, power, forgiveness, breakthrough. I come from a non-Christian home, little Christian exposure. I thought born again, evangelicals, whatever, whatever the term is of people that actually believe the Bible and a personal relationship with Jesus. I grew up thinking you all were just nuts, okay? Until I saw it lived out. And then I watched how the world lived, and I thought, you know, I don't, I've always been at least shrewd. Maybe not smart, but shrewd. And, and if you're shrewd, what you look at is, let's see, 50% chance round one it won't work, 75% round two. You know, I don't know if I can afford to be on a diet and have a hard body the whole rest of my life. This is a lot of work that doesn't work for almost anybody. I'm probably not in the 1% of the gene pool. You know, maybe God's way does look a little better, Right? And so I want to take everything we've said about God's way of doing relationships and put it on a little pyramid. If you are single or if you are divorced and and feel like there's a freedom to pursue a relationship, if you're a widow. Now, by the way, if you're married, you can say, how am I doing at this? Here's where you want to start. The issue is not, does she look good in tight jeans or does he look good in a tight t-shirt and what's he drive? The issue is spiritual. Is he a godly person? Is she a godly person? Integrity, character, that's what you're looking for, number one. Regardless of if the little, you know, electricity goes through your head. You can hold off on that. Secondly, you want to see them in a social situation with no dating. You want to see how they treat friends and people when you go out and you hang out and you see them at work or see them with friends. You want to see them socially so they don't put on their, like, I'm trying to get you face. The moment you start dating, you paint your face, he paints his, and you play a game. Third, then, you want to really get to know the person. More beyond a little psychological profile that's on the internet. You want to get to know his heart, her heart, dreams, personality. What do you want? Kids, finances. You want to really get to know them. All the research tells us that before 1960, 
The reason that there were so fewer divorces is that people took a long time and a slow road toward relationships for a number of reasons. Number one, there was taboo of getting divorced. Number two, there wasn't contraceptives or acceptance of cohabitation. And so you realize if you get in a relationship and you get pregnant, you're stuck. And so people took a long time to figure out, is this the right person? And they've evaluated. In 1969, the reform of the laws changed. There was no fault divorce. Pretty soon, cohabitation went from a thing that people should never do, whether you're a believer or not, to it's normal, it's accepted. So people slide into relationships. They slide into relationships. Now they feel trapped. Now they have a baby. Now it's like, this is not the right person, but it took me two and a half years to find out. And so now I'm going to get a divorce. And so you want to know this person. Then you kind of hold back those emotional feelings. And as God gives you green lights, then you click in on the emotion. And then, are you ready for this? As these things line up, you get married. Okay? You get married. And then the spiritual and the social and the soul and the connection. And you don't just have sex. You make love. And the angels in heaven and the God of heaven, far from being dirty, says... This is a holy and pure thing. And so when your kids are small and they ask about sex, you tell them, absolutely, it's a wonderful gift from God. And then when they're preteens, you say, yeah, pretty soon your body's going to be changing because God is preparing you for something very wonderful. And then when they're teenagers, you, you talk about sex and how the sacred stewardship that it is and why. And, and you know what? You train your kids. You give them God's prescription early on and all the way. You'll be glad you did. Now, that little um, pyramid that I gave you, I I did for a number of years a divorce recovery program in our church, and 80% of the people would be people that were not Christians, but they'd been divorced, and they found out this was a really good place, and so they would come. And so uh, I thought showing them that pyramid and what they ought to do would probably not go over real well. So here's the one that I showed them. I put on just on a big sheet of paper, and I put it up. And I said, hey, you know, uh, you know, you probably think I'm a pastor, and I'm going to really shove Jesus down your throat and tell you people, you know, how terrible you've been and what you need to do. And I said, actually, I'm, I'm pretty new. I just became a Christian, you know, early adulthood. Let me just talk about relationships. This is how I learned to do relationships. And just let me walk through this. I learned to do relationships. I was looking for a hot girl, and you, maybe you too. And, you know, I'd go to bars, and then, uh, like most of you, uh, probably within the, at least a week or if that night, you kind of hook up and you have, get involved sexually or at some level. And then pretty soon you have, you know, the, the dropping of 30 points of IQ and you have these overwhelming feelings. It's, oh, I'm in love and I'm love. And, you know, you don't, and then you kind of get to know them. And sometimes you start to get to know her and you go, oh, my lands. She is so hot, but there's zero between her ears. Right? Or this guy, like, he is a hunk. And I mean, he's in the self-worship. He kisses his own biceps all the time. I mean, he's a narcissist. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like sickening being around him. He looks good from a distance until you go, what? Ah, that's not the one for me. So what do you do? You go back fishing. Physical, emotional, and then you find someone, hey, we really connect. And as you really connect, and for many people, you've already started living together. And then, you know, you get social, you're around his friends, your friends, even family. And then you usually move in together, and you do it for three months or eight months or a year or two. And what is it about all the celebs and all people? At some point, there's this sense there's more to marriage than just cohabitation and having kids and sharing jobs. And it's like, because God has put in the DNA, it's a spiritual moment. And what do they want to do? They call people like me and say, would you marry us? Right? And so I ask him in the divorce recovery, how many of you 
did relationships that way, like I did. 100% of the hands. And then this was before Dr. Phil, so I feel very proud of myself at this moment. I said, let me ask you, so how did that work for you? I mean, we're in the divorce recovery class. And they're going, it didn't. And so what I did, I said, okay, are you all ready? It was on a sheet of paper. I said, ready? One, two, three. Turn the sheet of paper over. And I said, you know, if the pyramids were made like that, they probably wouldn't be here today. And then I said, look at, look at how they're made. This is God's design. If you really want help, first get right with God. He loves you. And go on this journey. And it'll transform your life. And for some of you, that's the message he has. In fact, let me give you a couple just to-go thoughts, and we'll wrap things up here. Uh, three or four quick questions. Question number one, sort of an honest moment just between you and yourself. Which triangle most represents your approach to building lasting relationships, whether you're married or not? I mean, if you were honest, don't tell anybody. But which one, Hollywood's or God's? Second, what would your present and or future relationship look like? I mean, which, what do you want it to look like? God's? Or Hollywood's. Third, uh, what specific steps do you need to take to begin implementing God's secret to a lasting relationship? And, and let me do a little coaching here. If you're an uninvolved single, what I mean is you're, you're, you don't, you're not in a deep relationship. Don't do the dance. Don't do the little thing, the little, you know. Go through that process. Hold your emotions back. We're going to talk about until a green light comes on. Second, if you're an involved single, you're dating someone or maybe you're living with them right now, then let me encourage you to take that triangle out and say, where are we? What, 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 what did we skip? What would we need to do to get this relationship where it really functions the way we want it to and God wants it to? If you're married, I, I encourage you to, to sit down over a cup of coffee this afternoon and kind of look at that triangle and look at each area and just kind of say, how, how do you think we're doing? You know, scale of one to five, one maybe not so good, five awesome. You know, how are we doing in spiritual, social, emotional, psychological? And then will you please, I'm going to talk to ladies first, do not use this as a club. Okay, remember, you're going to mimic God, kind, compassionate, forgiving. See, if someone says, I'm sure glad we went to church. I finally got you to go. We never pray together. You don't come to church with me. You're not spiritual. You know, I got news. He's never going to ever. <laughs> or if you're the guy, you're going, hey, man, finally, someone's talking about sex. Man, I'll tell you what, I've been trying to get through this. It's kind of hard to bring up. But, uh, and so, well, yeah, honey, those other four things are really important. But let's talk about the top of this and how we're, don't, don't do that. Take that sheet of paper and a cup of coffee and say, you know something? We all struggle. Let's, let's just talk about where do you sense we're at with a gentleness? And what would it look like to maybe just, maybe you choose an area that we could make some just baby steps toward and I'll choose an area. And can we talk about what it would look like to live before God and to be kind to each other, to forgive each other, and to make progress? We're going to help you discover both inside outside of marriage, how to know with absolute certainty if you're in love and the difference between love and infatuation. 
You've been listening to Living on the Edge with Chip Ingram here on Pray.com. The message you just heard is from our series, Love, Sex, and Lasting Relationships. To hear Chip's complete teaching from Ephesians chapter 5, or to learn more about our ministry, visit livingontheedge.org or download the Chip Ingram app. Well, that wraps up this edition of Living on the Edge with Chip Ingram. Thanks for listening to this Sunday service here on Pray.com. I hope you'll join us next time. The podcast, The Bible in a Year with Jack Graham, is a moving and inspiring biblical audio experience that will help you master wisdom from the world's greatest book. In each episode, you'll learn to apply biblical principles to everyday life. Each cinematic episode is a journey through the Bible's most profound stories that will strengthen your appreciation of the Word and inspire you to keep learning. Listen to The Bible in a Year with Jack Graham on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, I'm here to tell you about UpFaith and Family, the leading streaming service for uplifting entertainment. It's the only place to stream all seasons of the award-winning series Heartland with exclusive content you won't see anywhere else. Binge all the past seasons and don't miss the season 17 premiere on April 25th and stream a new episode weekly. Dive into the warmth of Heartland and let UpFaith and Family be your go-to service for all things uplifting. Start your free trial today. Go to UpFaithandFamily.com for your free trial. UpFaithandFamily.com.